Welcome to our Triune Pod, where we prepare you to praise. I'm the Reverend Nick Comiskey. And I'm the Reverend Ben DeHart. Join us for a conversation about low-key theology, lived experience, and outlandish pop culture as we break down the collect of the day for the coming week. We hope it's an inspiring, maybe a bit irreverent, but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some God time. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year, D. Hart. How are you? I'm all right, man. First one of 2021. I'm excited about a new year. All right. Uh, how was your Christmas? Uh, it, was, it was great, man. Like, I mean, you know, like hung out with my mom and dad. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, that sounds Didn't that sounds get what sad. I wanted again. Just kidding. Uh, no, it was great. How about you? It was good. It was good. We had a, a great church services, a lot of church this time of the year. Um, but yeah, it was very quiet. Uh, it was just Meg and I, we didn't have, you know, we weren't around family or anything, you know, COVID. No, just kidding. We just didn't want to travel, but um, we, we had a, we had a good one. It was, I think was the quiet. real question is, did you rage on New Year's Eve? I did not rage on New Year's <laughs> Eve. Did you go to uh, one of those underground COVID parties in Texas that I'm hearing about? <laughs> is that a thing? If that's, I mean, that probably is a thing. I am, uh, I'm not invited to those types of gatherings. I don't know people that do stuff like that. Um, I mean, there's part of me that, for what uh that that definitely appeals to me but uh we did not it was it was very lame but very... i think after the uh chief super bowl aftermath we we <laughs> all think we're a big partier so. man as long as we get that one seed and we kind of coast into the playoffs uh maybe i'll rage if we win a, a second super bowl in a row how about that which is the perfect transition to our collect about deification or sanctification. <laughs> That's true. No, let's do a little unrelated bit on um, just what, like, I thought we could talk about, like, you know, assuming 2021 by the second half, fourth quarter, whatever, gets a little bit, uh, gets a little bit back to normal. What's, what's one thing you're looking forward to doing once things settle down a bit, Ben? I mean, I guess two things. One thing is probably what everybody wants to do. I want to travel again. I want to go to Europe. Uh, actually, dear listeners, Nick and I had a plan to possibly go to Germany uh, in 2020. And obviously that got scrapped. So yeah, maybe just forget that 2020 happened and go. But the other thing really is, I mean, I'm a single guy and I'm in New York City and my boss and I have agreed to shut in place so that we don't give COVID to our parishioners and we don't give COVID to each other. So I just can't wait to see other people again, you know, get back on Tinder, work my magic. How about you? Wow. I wonder, <laughs> I, wondered, I was wondering if you were going to go there and you did. Um, yeah, I think travel was a good one. I mean, uh, you know, I, I haven't been to New York since January 3rd. That was the last time I was there. We have that uh, that great picture of us that will probably be on the internet by the time this episode goes live. Um, I, I really internet. miss I really miss going to New York, hanging out with you, walking the streets, looking for these inelegant truths. The quote, quote Titus Andronicus. Um, no, I think I am really looking forward to music, man. Seeing live shows mm, that's point. such a like, big part of my like Gosh. life. Um, 
and there's there are a lot of tours that did not happen in 2020 new albums that came out and i really want to see a few of those bands so like justin bieber and taylor swift folks that's that's oh my gosh uh yeah no exactly i mean my my tastes are like as cliched as people who love taylor swift it's just like slightly indier and like therefore i can be more self-righteous about it but Mm. i am just as predictable so i have no ground on which to stand the only thing i'll add to what you're saying i'd really resonate with going to shows it's been a long time but I mean, I used to have movie pass and AMC pass. I haven't been to a, a movie in nine, 10 months. And that was like my life. I went to two a week, kind of obsessed. So I'm looking forward to that too. Yeah, 100%. HBO Max just doesn't cut it for me. <laughs> I'm with Christopher Nolan on that. <laughs> yeah, dude. Tenant, one word. Okay, let's do the collect. Uh, this is for the second Sunday after Christmas Day. Um, I, this year, that is January 3rd. And, uh, I'll pray it. And then Ben, you're going to tell us, um, tell us what the hell this means. Here we go. Oh God, who wonderfully created and yet more wonderfully restored the dignity of human nature. Grant that we may share the divine life of him who humbled himself to share our humanity. Your son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. All right, folks. I think the big question is, what does it mean to share in the divine life of Jesus Christ? I think this is a question that's been debated for millennia. If you're from an Eastern Orthodox tradition, you've got your answers. If you're from the Protestant tradition, you've got yours. And uh, I guess the big word here to introduce to our faithful listeners who really care about this is theosis or deification, uh, and that essentially means kind of sharing in the divine life. Uh, Now, some of us, we might be familiar with terms like sanctification, uh, but there is. I mean, my Eastern Orthodox friends maintain that there is a big difference between deification and sanctification. So, Nick, do you understand the difference between these two? Do you think, what do you make of that, that difference? Yeah, I, I, I could care less if I'm being completely <laughs> honest. I mean, you always use that trope, my Eastern Orthodox friends. Do you have any Eastern Orthodox friends? They're imaginary. They're in my okay. mind. But yes. <laughs> they're interlocutors. Yeah. Yeah, no. They've I mean, all become Episcopalian and they're jaded, but yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, no. I mean, that is. this is a, 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 uh, a chapter in the story of Christian theology that I have not read and I am not interested <laughs> in, if I'm being completely yeah. honest. I do. I do. Like there are friends of mine who are really, these are real friends, not imaginary uh, friends of mine who are really passionate about this. And I'm kind of reminded of uh, whenever I think of them, I think of uh, there's this famous theologian. Like passionate about like, like flying and shit. Like what are they passionate no, like they're about? They're passionate about like no to deification, yes to sanctification or vice versa. And uh, I'm thinking in particular about this Princeton seminary theologian, Bruce McCormick, who literally has an article entitled, Participata- participation in Christ, yes. Deification, no. That's the title of the article. And I, I wish I would have said I read it in depth. I didn't. But I, I really think that the the difference when it, you come to the end of the road is really semantics. Like, okay, uh, we have these, you know, uh, famous early church theologians who say things like, the son of God became man so that we might become God. That's Athanasius says that. Now, 
I think for we in the West, we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like well, that eliminates the creator creature distinction. What do you mean we become God? Now, I don't think anybody in the East is saying that we actually like obtain the attributes of, of, of God almighty um, in their, in their essence. Um, and then we have, you know, Irenaeus of Leon says the glory of God is the human being fully alive. And I think that's kind of people in the West like a little bit more. It's about being truly human. But I think when you kind of sift through all of this, I mean, maybe there's a little bit more mystery in the Eastern way of thinking like, wow, we partake of the divine nature or life. It seems to really be about like living and becoming like Jesus, um, becoming like God, which is what I want. I mean, uh, I don't oftentimes live that way. Uh, I am enslaved to my uh, self-medication. Um, many of us are, whether it's alcohol, drugs, porn, rom-coms, uh, you name it. Um, there's something wrong in us and we want to be made well. And I think that that's what deification and sanctification are all about. We kind of touched on this. Nick did very well um, a couple of weeks ago about how, you know, let's like kind of de-theologize morality. It's, it's, it's kind of really about like sanctification or deification really being about like kind of living well. It's for you. It's for your neighbor, of course, but it's, it's for you. Uh, so do you take issue with that? Do you, uh, what do you, what do you think, Nick? <laughs> it's, I mean, it's not that I take issue with that. I mean, um, and there are people, I, I, I use this phrase a lot, but there are people that are so much smarter than me that um, are really animated and understand these ideas better than I do. So I don't want to be dismissive or, you know, kind of, you know, petulantly polemical <laughs> about those ideas. Um, I mean, where my head went when I went to this collect and was thinking about this collect was that line that God, um, created and yet more wonderfully restored the dignity of human nature. And I don't know what in the mind of who, I don't know who wrote this collect. This doesn't strike me as a 16th century collect, but this who knows, maybe, grammar. maybe it was, but um, you know, where my head went, you know, I've been thinking a lot for both personal and like more academic reasons about the way in which our, our corporeal, like our actual bodies carry habits mm. and dispositions and affects and the way that we are this integrated whole, right? Are you familiar with um, the bot the book in the kind of idea of uh, you your body keeps the score? A little bit. I haven't so, like the notion, I mean, the, from what I understand it, which is rudimentary, is you, you know, you go through some traumatic event as a child or even as an adult, like, you know, it could be a car accident, it could be verbal abuse, it could be something much more serious but you're, you, you react to that trauma in a, in a very bodily way, like brain chemistry. I mean, it's like a physiological thing as much as it's an emotional thing. And in order to kind of work through that trauma and be free of its debilitating effects, you almost have to like relearn in a bodily way how to react to adverse circumstances. And if you only try to do the kind of like, soul thing like immaterial thing your 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 body can be at war with what your brain is telling what you're trying to think about does that does that make sense i'm not doing a very good job explaining this because no, i actually think that was i'm not a psychologist <laughs> um but the notion is that if we really want to be made whole and uh be at peace with god with ourselves and with others we really need to be like corporeally redeemed not just mm -hmm. in our spirit or soul or however you yeah. want to name that um, i think like in the college that nick and i went to it was all about 
uh, forming your view. mind, yeah. yeah, thinking a certain way. Whereas this type of thinking, yeah, is more holistic. It's and actually, I think more uh, for our friends who like this kind of things, actually, kind of more reformed. Like a lot of reformed Calvinist type thinkers, they they're all about the brain. They're all about the mind. But it, it does seem like if this is also about like trauma that's in your body. You're not nearly as free as you think you are, uh, whether it's thinking through things, whether it, whatever. Um, right. And like, it's, but it's deeper than like, you know, like Jamie Smith uses this line, like brains on a stick to kind of caricature that like reformed, not just reformed, just like general Christian thing. Um, but so can I give you a really good example of why this plays out? This is not a personal example, but it. uh, it's like, it's uh, one of the, the books I read last year that, you know, really, really shaped my thinking about this stuff, not just about this stuff, but about a lot of things. It's called um, Places of Redemption, Theology for a Worldly Church. It's by Mary McClintock Fulkerson. She was a professor at Duke for a number of years. This book is like 2007. It was written a long time ago. But um, what the, the kind of occasion for this book is there was this church, Good Samaritan United Methodist Church in North Carolina, that was... Um, uh, multi-ethnic and it was for, I think predominantly black or African-American, but there were a, you know, a sizable contingent of white men and women. And then there were a lot of like different, uh, like able-bodied folks. So people that have developmental disabilities that, but they were all integrated in this like really beautiful community. And so she wanted to figure out like, what is going on in this community and what lessons might this community have for our wider society that is still dealing with these issues. Um, you know, this was way before systemic racism became like a catch-all term to name what's wrong with our world. It was like, how are these people able to be at peace with each other when the world around them is so, does not exemplify that kind of unity. Um, so, but what she narrates is she, you know, she walked into this church for the first time as a self-described, and I'm quoting here, feminist, race-conscious, progressive wannabe. And when she came into that church, she, she, had all the right ideas about ethnicity. She, had, she was able to speak the right language about ethnic identity and racial issues, but she felt the paleness of her skin in response to the black woman greeting her at the door. And she realized in some like bodily way that she is in fact uncomfortable worshiping with more than a few token black people. And what she describes in the introduction to the book is the way like I had all the right ideas, I spoke all the right words, but once I walked into one of those rooms, like my body was registering discomfort in a way that was divorced from what my mind said I should be thinking and feeling. And so we carry, you know, we carry racism, we carry prejudices, we carry um, sinful habits of, of thought and action like in our bodies. And so if, you know, Jesus to make us new, he, has to restore the dignity of human nature and you know how that i i don't know how that works you know like you know there's a form of therapy uh emdr i think is what it's called is when you are able to kind of work out trauma that's held in your body and there's other forms of therapy but i think it's what this uh, this promise to me is more eschatological like in the new creation we are we remain embodied we are still material beings but our material beings do not carry sin. And so we are able with heart, soul, mind, and strength to love God fully and to be, um, you know, compassionate, kind people. Um, and we're like, yeah, I don't know. So that's where my mind goes, the redemption of our bodies as this eschatological promise. Yeah. Again, that kind of purgation language, like the purging of that trauma of that 
sin, for lack of a better word. Yeah, no, I, I find it interesting because, I mean, I go exactly where you go. I, I go to Jesus's second coming or when I encounter Christ face to face. And uh, yeah, I don't know if I have the best answer for in the here and now, in the time in between, uh, what does it mean to you know, share in the divine life now? When I think of that, and when people talk about that, it does seem to kind of have that language of like, yeah, you're getting better and better. Or uh, let's put it in like one of the more reform terms, like you're becoming new every single day. I don't know if there's you know really that much difference between the two. But in my lived experience and the history of the church over time, I don't really see all that much of this sharing in the divine life. And maybe you know, I, I look at the kind of negative aspects of myself or the world. Um, but when I think about it, and maybe this is just, you know, Ben's doubts of, you know, before Christ and after Christ, you would think, you know, Christ coming in his first advent, things would dramatically change in the life of believers that we'd look so much differently than everyone else, but so often we don't. And I don't want to take that away from those who've had, you know, dramatic changes in their lives. And uh, we've talked about in previous podcasts, how you are the people who Nick and I look to, not necessarily to emulate, you know, word for word, but you're an inspiration to us. And yet, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I have to err on the side that ultimately this is an end times or eschatological thing. When Jesus comes again, when we see the Lord face to face and all that trauma and sin and crap is purged, uh, mostly because I'm so frustrated at how little I have been sanctified or how little I've been deified. Um, I don't know. Maybe I just need to try this therapy. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not frustrated by my lack of sanctification at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I'd have to really sit down and think about this because what I, what I want to say feels already inadequate. I just, I can't come up with something better. I mean, I think what the incarnation shows us is that the site of our redemption is our whole person, right? And that Jesus came, became a human being um, for a reason. And so we can never divorce our bodily experience from our life with God. Hmm. Um, and, but, you know, um, yeah, this is where my thinking, I feel like is breaking down, but I think the simple fact that Jesus became a human being, that Jesus restored the dignity of human nature, well, just empirically did not improve the lot of humankind, you know, it's not like people are just miraculously becoming more and more Christ-like by virtue of that one birth and, you know, first century Palestine. Um, I think the way that I appropriate Christ's divine life, appropriate might not be the right word, but is, um, yeah, and this is where my, you know, kind of um, Martin Luther's theology via Philip Carey has been so instrumental. It's, it's sacramental, right? And it's like Jesus is given to us and the divine life is kind of given to us in the externality of the signs of baptism, of the word of God, the preaching of the word of God, Holy Communion. We take the cup, we take the bread, we're in the water and there, there Christ is, you know, acting upon us. Um, but the way in which, you know, I think this, that, that question though of, do the virtues are the, the, the kind of the new life that we acquire in Christ, are those things, do we, do we grow in our 
Christ-likeness in a way that you can grow in your physical fitness by lifting weights? I think that's a really complicated question. I think the, an the kind of answer that you hear in most preaching is yes. You can kind of bit by bit, step by step, become a more Christ-like person. I mean, in my experience, and maybe this is because, you know, all the good things about me are hidden from me for my own sake. I don't, I don't experience that. It's not like I can have this catalytic experience in the grace of God today that will somehow carry over into tomorrow. I, I do experience it as like, and this is a very Luther idea, like kind of beginning again each mm -hmm. day. It's never stable. It's never something that's inert or that's possessed by us, but it is, it is there and it is available to us every single day. So yeah, I don't know where, where does that leave us in between the advents? Yeah. That, that's what I have a, a not a good answer to. Yeah. No, and what does that mean in light of, you know, for some people not being able to take the sacrament for 10 months? My colleague, uh, Jacob Smith, uh, has uh, kind of offhandedly said one day, people were talking to him about like, why are people acting up so much? Why are people not wearing masks? Why are people like rioting, you know, this and that? And he's like, what do you think is gonna happen when people don't take the sacrament for eight months? <laughs> Yeah, man, um, that's, that's a bold claim. I, like I think it. that that's kind of interesting. But I, and I think about for us listeners right now, especially for those of us who haven't been in church and haven't been able to take the sacrament, I have found that in reading and get ready to drink, because Nick said this is where your drinking game begins. But when I read Foaming Rutledge's sermons in the process of reading it and after having kind of internalized it, I do feel renewed. And again, it's not all about your feeling, but I want it, I want to feel things too. But there is kind of that, again, that external word, whether it's you know the bread and the wine, the word of God, the preached word, uh, in that place, am I sharing in the divine life? Maybe, I hope so, I think so. Um, and yet I'm frustrated because you know, an hour later, and I think I said this recently, I will be walking the streets of New York and I will view everyone I encounter as traffic in my way or the people who ask for money as the biggest burden in my life. Uh, so yeah, it feels all very fleeting and it feels all kind of like, this is my hope for the future, that there will be a day when, when I feel like that all the time, like right after I've read a sermon, right after I've taking the sacrament. And of course, like there are times we take the sacrament and we've just got to trust that the Holy Spirit is working on us, even when we don't feel it. Uh, but I like that. I like that of, of, of going after these things like beggars, uh, because this is a taste of the divine life in the here and now that we will experience in its fullness when Jesus comes again. That's a great note to end on, Ben. Pray us out. All right. O God, who wonderfully created and yet more wonderfully restored the dignity of human nature, grant that we may share the divine life of him who humbled himself to share our humanity, your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. How about that episode of our triune pod now that you've been prepped for praise won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review we promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming so be sure to join us for another episode of your new favorite podcast